0: Previously, on box cutters. Same oh my lord, lord. <laughs> Brett, Brett hasn't had a chance to see it, but for five bucks, he'll make something up right now. Go on, then I'll give you five bucks. I've got right here.
1: I have got <laughs> five dollars. <laughs> that's <laughs> five dollars. Here you go. Theater
2: of and the mind. And this is
1: this is only the <laughs> only the third person. He did reach out and he took it. He actually took it. He took five dollars off of that's our crop. filmmaker. <laughs> He's only the third the third person we had to give money to in the whole of the series. <laughs> Just to bribe a guy <laughs> to give me a good review. Brett, Brett? He's throwing it back.
0: Hello and welcome to Box Cutters episode 339. If it keeps crashing, don't bother gnashing. My name is Josh Canal to my left, Glenn Peters. Hello, I'm back. To my right? Brett Cropley. Good evening, viewers. We have uh, we we've got such a jam-packed show this this week on Box Cutters that we barely even have time for an intro. All I'm going to say is Sabul Bradley, the uh, host, uh, writer, and director of ABC Two's Head First is going to be our guest. Uh, We are going to try to talk about the checkout because Glenn is very keen on talking about it. We have a new fact checker, Mr. Ben McKenzie. Why, hello. I'm here to check your facts. Hey, (laughs) Oh, no, that's actually just... uh, I I meant that literally. Right. right, Yeah. In a segment I'm starting to call Under Ben's Hat... Oh, I wish I'd known you were going to call it that I would have worn my hat for the video podcast There is no video podcast oh. Sorry, Check there's that There's fa- no, there. speakers
3: yeah. I've got a nice hat I But I had to wear my helmet as I
0: rode in on my bike Couldn't wear a hat We've got one thing We've got letters to box cutters As always though We're going to kick things off With the box cutters news In an uh, in interesting, but let's skip over it quickly because we don't have very much time news, an episode of Hannibal was taken off air or didn't go to air mm-hmm. as a result of the Boston bombing. This is because the creator of Hannibal asked for it to not go to air. So Brian Fuller, the, the creator, uh, said, it's a bit sensitive. Mm-hmm. A little bit sensitive. Let's just not.
4: If you make your living by making a a violent uh, sh- television show mm. and something violent happens in real life, you shouldn't turn that off because, oh, gee, I might be confused with the Boston bombings. It should be like, hey, yeah, you're part of the problem, mate.
0: I don't think he's turning it off because it might be confused with or uh, or thought to, to have causal effect. I think... Uh, it was turned off because uh, people watching might be disturbed by what they're seeing. But are you saying wouldn't, that's, wouldn't that's kind that? of the point? Let, let them be disturbed by what they're seeing? Yeah,
4: you, 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 you're making the money. You, you made your bed, and now lie in it. So you, th-
0: you think uh, you, you can't pick and choose whether or not
4: you're going to be violent this week? No, no. You've just made the show. It should stand up. And you know, if something happens, that's that's not your that's not your problem. You know, you, you've chosen to make something that might be questionable and and there might be insensitive eyes. Well, hey, yeah. Maybe next time you make something that's not so bad for sensitive eyes. You,
0: you make an excellent point. And uh, in a little bit of Brian Fuller's defence, this is this is the first kind of violent show that uh, that that he's done, but the. I think your your point remains, the show is the show. It was made as it was made and you have to take that on the chin regardless of what happens in the real
4: world. We're not asking you to make these shows. And that is the box cutters news.
1: If we're going near the border, there's one thing we're going to need. What I need each of us to do is to try on our particular flat jacket mm-hmm. and helmet, make sure that everything's there. Mm-hmm. So that they all work. <laughs> Gas masks, helmets and bulletproof vests. We're ready to go to Hatai
0: Sabur so, Bradley, welcome to Box Cutters. That was a sound clip from your third episode of Head First mm. In which uh, you, you take a, a couple of uh, Australians over to Syria to, to try to find their dead brother And uh, I, I chose that because I think it encapsulates... Everything an audience needs to know about headfirst from, from the start, which is, you really get in there. There is there is no uh, there, there is actually no hyperbole around this around this title. You aside from the uh, the fact that you dive headfirst in the opening credits, <laughs> into <laughs> cool. yeah, it's a very literal which which translation a, of my really of the title. <laughs> uh, you, uh You you really you really go in deep. Uh, so welcome thank you and it's uh, great
1: to be here i am it, it's fantastic to be here with box cutters the famous box cutters <laughs> go easy on me josh you are the anna winter of podcasts <laughs> podcast presenters i'm scared it's because i'm
0: impeccably dressed <laughs> glenn here is the cuddly one right yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 he's he just smiles all the time whereas i i do i do the tough questions like How can you call it documentary if you get so heavily involved? Oh, this is a good question because, like, a lot of uh, the
1: you know, especially the Fairfax journalists ask this question. They're (laughs) they're really interested in the process part of it and the whole um, how close you become to the subjects and the separation between you as as the presenter and uh, and the characters. Um, How can you call it documentary? I think you call it documentary with a fact and twist. That's what the ABC calls it, and fact and is factual entertainment. Um, I would say it's a kind of uh, twist on the format, mm-hmm. um, and I would say that you know there's this tradition that comes from Britain especially, but it's in the states as well. But you've got your Nick Broomfield's, your Louis Theroux's um, from the states. You've got your Morgan, Morgan Spurlock's, and they take an approach which is to get as close to the characters as possible, contributors, whatever you want to call them. Um and uh, what I do is take that approach as well, but I also um, always start out with the aim of um, joining the journey in some w- in some way, getting involved. And that's that's our, I guess twist. that's where we're kind of taking it. And I think maybe Morgan Spurlock does that. But for me, uh, the um, most important thing is to follow the story of the characters. So that's the important thing. That's at the heart of it. I hope that's at the heart of every episode you know, in Head First in the five-part series. And I I think really it's born out of my particular journey, creating a structure so that um, you've got something to follow. So it's always going to be entertaining. You've got my journey at the very least. If the um, journey that we're following starts to lag a bit, you go back to mine. But my journey always takes second place to the, the characters. Uh, uh, but to answer your question, <laughs> how can you call it documentary? Um, you can call it whatever you want, really, but we call it documentary with a fact and twist.
0: That's, that's, a, that's a very, uh, I, I'm going to say, practiced and well-researched answer. Because C- I, I think it's, since I first started watching the, the show, I thought, well, it's called a documentary and it seems like it's a documentary about, uh, about the people you're with, but it's really a documentary about you. Ooh, interesting. It's, it's really about the decisions that you make when you choose to help and when you don't choose to help. And I think we learn so much about you and and the way you want to pursue the story. Huh, That's
1: really interesting. I know I, I can say that the, the ABC were really interested in, from the very beginning in making sure that my, how would you say, journey is... Um, Documented, So that's always a big part of it. Um, and I think that they they got that because they liked that aspect from Extreme Tourist Afghanistan, which was a series that I did before this for uh, Nat Geo. But I, I do think that the one thing that I try to do is not to be subjective about how the audience should feel throughout it. So that I do take an active role, but I don't tell the audience what to feel or what to think so, I try to stay objective in that way. But definitely, I, definitely it's, it's diving into, this, into the story. Um, and in terms of documentary, I think there's just many different forms of documentary. I think you could take a look at the, the people that I just listed then and even Michael Moore and say that, you know, some of them are constructed, some of them are um, unconstructed, some are ob some like Louis Theroux. He becomes an agent. In the story of his characters as, mm-hmm. as his characters always say that they realize at a certain point in the process about a weekend according to him that Lou is actually part of the story and they didn't realize that before and once they realize that there's a psychological change um because he becomes an agent in it um and with what we do i think uh sometimes the story doesn't need much help um and i don't need to do a lot and i and i coast along for for example the fifth episode um, in Arnhem Land where I go to live um, with an Aboriginal community to see what the intervention is all about. I was living in a tent on a beach in the middle of this community Um, and when you're doing that and all this stuff is happening around you, really full and intense stuff, you don't need to do a lot, that journey is clear. In the first episode um, which is airing this week Social Monster where we go to Ghana to um, try to scam these online love scammers who were taking down a lot of Australians with love scams in that one I took a direct role in deciding I'm going to go across to Ghana and scam these scammers in the second episode <clears throat> the uh, main character Sky Harper who's a uh, a uh, fame wannabe um, she asked me to be her manager at a certain point after she's failed at so many different auditions she asks me to be her manager and at that point it's like great that's, there's my journey you know, there's my role. And then I, I think it really took off.
4: There, there, there seems to be some sort of myth in uh, news storytelling about that you have to be objective and there's two sides to every story. And I think that's bullshit. Cause, and what I like about uh, your show is that it does take off into places. Obviously, you're not expecting it to go to those places. And that's the ob part. And then the fact end part is the bit
1: where if I make a decision, okay, this is what I'm going to do, that's the factual entertainment. That's, I think, where you're taking a, a hand in the, in the story. Or I think you're always trying to, um, like when we went to Ghana to scam the scammers, I think the story probably wouldn't have gone a lot further other than to document, you know, what was happening to these scam victims or survivors back in Australia. But to get inside that, the, the world of the scammers, you really have to understand them. And for me, the best way to do that is um, to go and actually meet them. Um, and you're never going to get into the world of the scammers genuinely, uh, because they're not going to let you in. They're not going to let you film. And so the best way to, for me, um, to see how they work is to use their
0: own techniques against them. And that's what we did. It's it's fun and it's a sting. Like you you, you basically you, you set up a sting operation, mm. uh, and you take a Brisbane police officer with you to to help you set set it up, which is extraordinary that the that first episode the first 10 minutes of it i was sitting there watching it going really There's, this is a 45 minute <laughs> documentary about the dangers of cybercrime <gasps> uh, because and it felt really really condescending until until that twist 10 minutes in mm. where uh where, where I just oh no that was all just set up for this and it was it, – it, it's the – you reward the patience of the viewer. Uh, and I, I think that's that's gutsy. That's gutsy television. And It's, it's ABC2 where, you know, if they're already watching <laughs> ABC2, they've exhausted everything else, I think.
1: Before you go on, I want to tell anybody <laughs> listening as well, please do – Stay on past the first ten minutes. We always it's, felt that that would could potentially be a, a problem, but you have to get to know those characters. You really do. Otherwise, and, you don't feel for them later on.
0: And it makes so like it, it makes so much difference. And and I I did something that I don't usually do, which is I really forgave the first ten minutes. Right? <laughs> usually, I will go. That was a really good show, but you could cut that first ten minutes out. But you can't. Mm. I I really forgave that first ten minutes and. When you're making decisions about that, this this series is written and directed by you, uh, which means you also have a, a heavy hand in, in the editing. When you're making decisions like that, how do you go about doing that?
1: Um, co-directed in some episodes as well, by the way. Um, oh, well, that's a good one. I think for me, uh, I'm seeing the story as I go along. And so by the time I get to the edit, um, I've already been talking to the editors um about how it should look in terms of shape and so what happens is they cut a 90 minute rough cut Mm -hmm. and so by the time i get into the edit because in in this case we were still shooting so by the time i got into the edit after um christmas and we finished Syria, which was really the final one um there were 90 minute rough cuts of everything and when i can see that rough cut i can then see a script in my head of how it should come together and um, am I answering the question? You are, you are. You- so so I, I, I am seeing the story as, um, as we're actually shooting it. And because I'm at the center of it, I feel like um, I'm probably the one with the most, sounds weird, but I'm the one who feels the tone best um, and the balance best. You'll probably say that I'm the least objective one and maybe that's true, but um, I certainly know what I want the audience to feel and so by the time we get to that 90-minute rough cut, then I, I've got a good 50-minute um, script in my head, which I then write and give to the editor and they take it away.
0: You, you are, I think, fairly the least uh, objective one. You're, <laughs> right, you're, yeah. you're, you have gone through it. You know the emotions that are supposed to come out. So you're the only person who can try to get those emotions out of the story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um It's an interesting thing, isn't it, objectivity. I think there's two things because I think that I know the story best, also because I'm there from the beginning and I kind of know the story that I want to get. But then there's this other thing of, you know, subjectivity about yourself and the characters and all that kind of thing, which can be a problem. And so I'm always having a back and forward between me and the editor and also um, myself and the executive producer, John Malloy, because, he, you know, I'm always feeding back to him and filtering everything through him. And um, we make a good creative team in that sense because he's, a, he's a emotionally a very b- um, balanced person and um, he understands the, in term, the emotional tone that needs, needs to kind of come out.
4: Um, and so I'll, I'll uh, interface with him a lot. No one could predict some of the things that happen on the two episodes I've seen. How much of it's a surprise and how much do you have to like throw away your, your preconceived story you have to throw away to bring in the surprise? In
1: every episode there's a turning point that I didn't expect. And I can say that, <clears throat> you know, really honestly. And once that happens, then you're just running with it. That's the great that's the obdoc side. I love that when that happens. You know, it's what happened in Ghana when everything goes wrong during this thing. It's what happened when um two points during uh, Fame Lies and Sex Tape, the second episode when she asked me to be her manager and then the offer that we get and you know probably the, the best example of where fact entertainment factual entertainment turns into obdoc is Syria and that's where we'd gathered all the information about what could have happened to Roger Abbas the murdered young um, Australian kickboxing champion we'd gathered all the information on the Turkish side of the border Um, And the only thing that we could do at that point to decide whether, in fact, he was humanitarian or a jihadist was to go into Syria. And I just loved (laughs) shooting that episode. You probably see on my face how drained I am. You know, um, I just, it was so draining knowing that you have to get a story, um, not knowing what's going to happen every day and having to deal with two people who, you know, are their own people and could do anything and, and also having to deal with going into a really dangerous place a war zone so once once it got to that point of um you have to go into the war zone to find out the answer half of me was like this is the most awesome thing in the world and the other half obviously um, is is um thinking about
0: the story side and i guess whether you get killed and there's, that kind of thing there's <laughs> a great shot in that in that third episode well i, w- I want to go back to to the second episode uh uh, which is fa- fame lies in sex tape, mm. uh, but in the third episode, when you go, uh, you go to Turkey ahead of mm. uh, uh, of the the people you're going with, and you're just sitting at a cafe and you're drinking. Uh, it's it's either a, a cup of Turkish coffee Turkish or a cup tea. of tea, yeah, a oh. cup of tea, Great. and uh, and you look so uh, relaxed, and you, you you're sitting there with your tea and uh, and the look on your face is like, I'm in for a fun time here. <laughs> and then, uh, and then if you compare that to the way you looked at the end of the episode, yes, uh, it's, you, I think you should end the episode with a side by side comparison. <laughs> I saw it in
1: myself. I said to the editor at the time, look how weary I look. And you know, that's the end of five months of shooting as well. We'd shot all the other four episodes. Oh. We left that one deliberate. Well, it happened that we left the most, Dangerous one technically till last, which I did in Extreme Tourists as well, which is, you know, if you do die, um, at least you've shot the series. That sounds funny, but it's actually true. So um, at the beginning of it, it was great because we've done a lot of stuff in Australia, and, you know, you're shooting here, there, you're not shooting in order, you're shooting as the story unfolds. Whereas um, that one and F- Families and Sex Tape, but specifically Syria, we shot in a two week block. And right. it could all just unfold and I could I could leave Australia and all the production people and everything behind it was just me and my um, cameraman Jake Simpkin and we just did the obdoc thing and that's for me awesome. <laughs> I just love it. Do
4: the to the characters and uh, some side characters, do they drain you emotionally? Like there's an old man in the <sighs> first and oh. there's and this is okay, but there is a there's some sort of intervention part of the episode mm. where the, the man has to be convinced to not give money to scammers. That's not a spoiler because it's obvious. But this this moment is unexpected. Do you, do you sometimes feel more struck by their stories and getting close to them than running around in Syria and playing, you know, let's find a crook?
1: Those are the two different sides, yeah. But when that happens, when a character just does whatever it is that they're going to do within a scene you you know it's not constructed in any way it's unfolding in front of you and you don't know what's going to happen and then they do it that that for me is um, it's not so much draining as really inspiring because there's, yeah. there's something electric in the air when that happens
4: um, and you're always try I think you're always trying to find those moments would you regard this series together all all the episodes as some sort of uh, time capsule of 2013? It's pretty good.
1: Uh, it you know, misses out refugees. Yes. <laughs> um, we were doing a refugee story and it got really hot and the government of a particular country wouldn't let us in. Oh, um, and Australia. That's, and that's why we had to... Um, <laughs> there was a lot of interference from both. Right. Yeah, in ob- oblique kind of ways. There was a lot of interference. They made sure that we couldn't do the story we wanted to do. Absolutely. Um, so we had... We'd actually prepped that right up until that point. So we had to drop that, and that's how Syria happened. So I think um, in many ways there are other stories that I'd written down but um, as, as potentials. And, you know, I'd go to the ABC with John Malloy and um, we'd pare them down. But a lot of the time it's, can you jump into it? Can you jump into this story? And, and how do you jump into a fracking story? How do you jump into a story about the Murray-Darling Basin? How do you jump into a story about... Uh, a lot of things that happened last year. Um, so it is a slice, definitely.
0: I really didn't expect to enjoy the show this
1: much. Uh, you know, just- not, uh, you because know, obviously I listened to the podcast and I was like, oh my God, Josh is going to kill me. <laughs> he's, gonna, he's just going to kill me. <laughs> this is probably every everything that josh hates and thank god you got past that first 10 minutes yeah well
0: i was uh, you know i'm I'm a professional i wait at least until 15 and (laughs) i hate everything (laughs) yeah glenn hates everything yeah really yeah oh i didn't get
4: that impression
2: (laughs) (laughs) he hasn't hasn't spoken about the writing yet
0: (laughs) Right.
4: (laughs) i've met quite a few people that have uh, worked in places like afghanistan for a long time and you've done a series in afghanistan there's Living and working in a place like that, does that affect your storytelling when you come back to Australia? Do you think, uh, well, does that affect, all right, we're going to do a story about someone riding the celebrity train. Does that time back there seeing some really crazy shit or not seeing crazy shit, because you often spend a lot of time not seeing anything happen, does that affect your storytelling when you get back home? I think it definitely affects your storytelling because you're operating in a war zone
1: and you're operating in a place in Afghanistan, that is, where security is always an issue. And you have to decide what is the story that you want. You Can I swear on here? Yeah. You can't fuck around because otherwise, you know, it's your life. Um, so, you have to know what it is that you want. And everything that happens in front of the camera on the day is great. But you it teaches you to be... Um, uh, Economic, in terms of what you 're going out to get, and so when you come back when I came back to Australia anyway, that had taught me so much um, about storytelling and also you know going out with with people to to get stuff as well and and of course, translating that to what it was going to be later on, because you always have to be thinking it 's a weird thing, but you always have to be thinking at the end of every scene and at the beginning of every scene, what do you want to get out of this? what's the central point of it where's the conflict how are we going to chase the conflict because that's the drama and what what are we going to do next and how is this going to look on screen you know how does this contribute to the story you're building blocks and and units and if you're going into a scene
4: that you can't see how it fits in the story then you shouldn't be doing it and perhaps one of the the running jokes with uh people that have spent time away is the cliched stories. So when you go to Pakistan, there's five cliched stories that you'll do. When you go to Afghanistan, there's five that every journalist does when they're over there. So does that affect you trying to find the different story when you can come back home? Definitely. Extreme Tourist was all about telling the
1: stories that weren't being told and showing a site to Afghanistan that wasn't being seen. And I saw those journalists all the time. They would come into Kabul and you'd hear them on the phone or they'd even tell you and say, the editor knows the story he wants. It's the return of the Taliban. Now I just need to find this, this, and this. Um, it is uh, the fact that women you know, are back under the burqa. I've got to get that story. I've got to get that photo. Do you think the woman will pull her burqa up so we can get a shot with her and her husband together without the... All of that kind of stuff. Um, and so we wanted to tell a story of Afghanistan that um, still told the real, gave a real perspective. It's a really dangerous place. It's difficult to get around. Um, but that amidst all of that there are people who um, are really struggling to continue to live not just normal lives but extraordinary lives and we wanted to tell those stories while still showing the danger and 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 you know have an entertaining aspect to it so my starting point um you're gonna hate this josh just gonna back up it's, what you thought at the beginning. Uh, um my starting I'll point was That's fine. If, if i go to this particular province what is the most dangerous thing that they do in this province and can i do that not even can i do that i'm going to do that so i would try to terrify myself first and then go on a journey to be able to do that if it was learning how to be a buskashi rider you know where people get killed and compete in the biggest buskashi competition of the year on new year's day that's the journey i'd go on but really we were trying to meet people along the way and that's that's how the structure worked so coming back to australia um i took really that same concept of finding what is the journey that scares you the most? What's the thing that scares you the most? Even the thing that conf- is confronting to you the most. And if if you're scared at the beginning of um, that research period, then it's going to be a good story. It's going to be challenging. It means you're doing something new and it means the audience will go with you right till the very end.
0: So, two, you go and visit the Octomums, uh agent and then she sets up an interview for you with the Octomom. Did you have to pay for that?
1: No. Really? Very surprised. Yeah. You, know. yeah, but
0: you were expecting to, you were ready to? Or? Obviously,
1: um, my exec producer, John Malloy, he deals with all the, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think throughout this whole series, we only had to pay two people. And it's often because, you know, they've taken time out from their work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Octomom invited us into her house. Now, Why? I personally believe you know Gina obviously thinks any publicity is good publicity, and she's right. It's a story that's going to go out around the world. I think a lot of people will be surprised about what they see inside
4: the house It's bleak I it's, know it's, but it's bleak it's clean there's lots of money
0: there's lots but it's it's almost like it it's almost like a house in Pakenham, one of these really, really big houses that too big to furnish
4: It's like an orphanage for football players. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's, it's so aspirational, and, mm. but, but there's nothing actually around. There's no effects. There's no books. There's, it's just kids. You know, beautiful kids just mm. running around sort of half amok, but, you know, she seems really in control.
1: She's a really – I think she's a really loving mother. She, you know, she's um, a million miles an hour. You see that with the way that she speaks. But I think she really loves the kids, and I think she was trying to prove a point uh, when we went in there about how much she loves them and that she can take care of them as well because there had been a story – as you see in the in the episode, there's been a story that um, her two nannies had walked out on her saying that she was neglecting the kids mm. or something like that. And, you know, Gina sells stories to the media every week. And I think this might have been part of her plan to sell that particular story. And we were part of it.
2: I just brought up uh, the, the, the money stuff. It, it sounds like it's... Uh got uh, quite a bit of expense there. Has has this blown the ABC2's uh, budget for the year? And uh, are they going to have you again next year?
1: That's a good question. Uh, This series was made uh, in TV terms on a pittance, really. It's ABC2. Um, They had to increase their normal budget to be able to do it, but it's hugely ambitious. They wanted a domestic series but they got an international series. They got five one-hours. It started out as five half-hours, but as I was always telling the ABC, these are 48 minutes. You know, Louis would never do a half-hour. You you know, you can't follow characters. You can't follow characters and do a half-hour. That's a Mm. comedy. That's a John Safran, Lawrence Lung, you know, all the things that we've come to expect from Australian comedians, and they said that they didn't want that, and I didn't want to do that, and so we had to make it bigger, and to to do that, it cost more money. Mm. Do they want it to... Um, Will they have you back? Will they have me back? Well, they've really obviously loved what they've seen so far. And I think, you know, they're waiting to see the audience reaction now. So the audience could get back to me on that (laughs) really quickly. I think they're universal. I put them up against any other stories that I see around the world. And I think also the really great thing about them is that um, they're timeless, hopefully. Uh, A great documentary, a really good documentary should be able to be watched, you know, a year, two years from now. And even the Syria one, if the war ends, I feel that the character journey you go on with the central character, Sonia, looking for her brother, that, that journey that she goes on. Um, is is timeless for me. It, you know, you could replicate that for uh, lots of different people in lots of different situations.
0: So, Bill Bradley, Bradley, we, we've spoken to you for twice as long as we intended, <laughs> uh, which is a, a testament <laughs> to your storytelling, I think. Uh, I can't recommend Head First, highly enough. It uh, starts May 1st, uh, which is the day after this comes out but it's on iview as well I, I'll, I'll be guessing absolutely and now that Josh
1: Canal has given us our poster tag can you also give us something I can't recommend head first highly enough can on give us something explosive Glenn? um it
4: was really really good
0: support well, Bradley thank you so much for joining us thanks on thanks for having me guys thank please you. come come back anytime
2: please have me anytime. Hi, I'm Tim Ferguson, and I listen, they listen, and you should listen to Box Cutters. They're sharp, they're small, and you can take
0: over your own jumbo jet with them. Box Cutters. Glenn Peters, you love The Checkout.
4: Yes, I love The Checkout.
0: Now, we had had Kirsten Drysdale from The Checkout on this show a a few weeks ago, before any of us had seen it. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I think we're all uh, a little bit pleasantly surprised, but you're blown away by it you you're you're saying things about the checkout that uh that nobody is saying, and I, I want to know why
4: okay so we're we're on a pug podcast mm-hmm. uh, let's list a few podcasts that we really enjoy mm-hmm. uh this American life love mm-hmm. it uh, kind of changed us didn't it uh, we- yeah, yeah the way uh, ra- radio, radio lab
0: radio lab changed changed the the way I do a lot of things
4: um planet money mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
4: that's a that's terrific isn't that it is, that is there's a great there's a great podcast uh Freakonomics can do those things Freakonomics has some really interesting bits in it yeah uh and let's go let's go australia the one that gets close maybe background briefing when it's on song
0: the yeah uh the uh, the uh abc radio national uh radio show which which has a a radio budget but i don't know anyone who actually listens to it live uh, does does great work and, and has for a long time they recently replayed uh, one from the Thatcher years uh, from one thousand nine hundred and eighty uh, nine and and still the same
4: good quality so what brings these shows together that we 're talking about radio shows stay with me listeners uh, is that they 're telling these stories in a completely different way that we haven 't seen before so uh, the story behind planet Money. Is that Planet Money was made as an offshoot of This American Life. They needed something to explain the global financial crisis mm-hmm. to the listener, and they got somebody who was had some background in teaching, and so they make this show that explains these really complex things in ways that we've never seen before. The checkout does this. It does it. It's explaining stories that we read in the papers, but really at the back of the newspaper when no one's reading, uh, stories about Swiss vitamins.
0: Yeah, so so they, had a, they had a story about Swiss vitamins and the claims that they make about the efficacy of their supplements.
4: And how that when a supplement gets rejected, they just change its name and they move on. Now, they present this in a way that is just so cheeky. And the story beforehand, they have a story about Nurofen. All Nurofans are the same. It's ibuprofen. You can't Oh, look, I could explain what it is, but you watch the show, you'll see what it is. But, but
0: I, ibuprofen is ibuprofen is ibuprofen, and, and it does not target any particular... You can't have an ibuprofen for back pain that is different to an ibuprofen for okay. migraine.
4: So they could not get a comment, and this is the rock and roll moment. This is the moment that defines television in a way that hasn't been done before. They wanted a comment from Nurofen. They couldn't get the comment from Nurofen. They were... Mucked around by Neurofen, and then finally Edelman, their lawyer, their PR agents, um, got the questions. And from the questions, I call them um, flight to Sydney questions. So when a journalist sends a question over to a company and the office, that gets the question from the journalist shits themselves. There are flights from Sydney, from head office in Sydney to answer this question. So Edelman don't know what to do. They give a three page document of just rubbish, gobbledygook, and some studies that aren't really studies, just some rubbish. So, what do the checkout people do
0: now, now they they give they give these three pages to the checkout so that the checkout can use them in and read story.
4: Them. right now so what what do they do now this is something that happens every day pretty much every third story in your newspapers this is what happens what do the checkout do they get a clown to read the press release <laughs> An, an actual clown, so it's a like, clown, right, with horns, <laughs> like. Arr-r-r-r-r-r-r-r. Right. Now, that's amazing. Like a business journalist who is working on the same story can't treat the reply like that. Only the checkout does that.
0: Now, do, do you think? Do you think that uh, being so mocking and so. Uh, one sided as
4: as that that story seems to be is a good way to to get the message across no because what they 're doing is they' they're getting stories behind it, so that 's mocking after they 've done quite a good story, and yeah perhaps one sided but they 'll often they did a story on the milk wars now we 've all read about the milk wars. In Coles and Woolworths, and how or whatever we all know the story, but they they dug a little bit deeper behind that, and to find out that no, and at the end of the story, you ask, so what do you do to help the farmers? Sorry, there is nothing you can do. We're all stuffed.
0: That's I, I really I loved that I loved that story because I've been trying to look into all of this because I I, I try to purchase ethically where, where I can, and the milk thing has been. A, a constant issue for me. So it, it is a really complicated story, and the checkout kind of gave me a, a peace of mind that everyone, like everyone, is screwed.
4: Yes, there's a story about the telcos. There's new legislation that only about seven people know about to make uh, the telcos be honest about the way they sell. Um, their phone plans, so they tell people about the new legislation and as consumers what we 're entitled to get, so then they talk about it and it 's quite detailed about how how what new rights we have, but then they pull that new regulation apart to show all the anomalies and all the rubbish and what we were talking about in the previous news story that make a lot of these regulations. Almost like a joke, they're, but you they're know they're doing useless. their best. But they also say, "Where credit where credits you." They've done this, so this is okay. So it's really, I mean, if you want to talk about the most boring thing, I want to talk. Uh, I hear about is balanced journalism. This is as balanced as it can get because it shows that things are good, things are bad, and it also it educates. All right, how often have we watched a Current Affair and Today Tonight? And we've watched the consumer stories, and we've just thrown shit at the TV. We all do it. We all do it. And so well, we
0: we stopped doing the Ray Watch uh,
4: segment because we it was just repetitive after a while. And when you when you watch this, you say, "Oh, wouldn't it be great if someone actually did a consumer story that empowered you and may, and gave you something some." Armory to go to the shop with and something that was well done well this is the show you've been waiting for when you have thrown at stuff of the TV it's it's great in this way and also it names names relentlessly no one else will name names relentlessly
0: I, 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 I agree with you I think uh, I, I think they're, they're doing a good job thanks thanks for that Glenn thanks oh. for bringing that to our attention
4: oh thank you Josh
2: I
0: have a letter. You read
2: it?
4: You're a godsend. Saviour. No, I'm I'm just the postman. The postman. The postman. The postman. The postman. Fred, your best mate. My best mate. I really like Fred now. Fred
0: writes on the blog. Okay,
2: the Monty Python thing. It is and it isn't a case of the BBC combining different people that they thought were interesting. In many ways, it's more an all-stars based on other shows. Cleese, Chapman, Palin, Jones, and Idol had all at various times worked on writing The Frost Report. Cleese and Chapman had met at Cambridge. Idol was also a Cambridgeite, but tended to work alone while Palin and Jones had met at Oxford. Cleese had also worked briefly with Gilliam when his Cambridge review, Cambridge Circus, went to Broadway. Cleese and Chapman subsequently teamed up with Tim Brooke Taylor, also from Cambridge, and Marnie Feldman, on at least the 1948 show produced by David Frost. Jones and Palin worked together with Idol and a young David Jason and Terry Gilliam and the Bonzo Doodah Dog Band on a kids' show called Do Not Adjust Your Sets. It's generally believed that the program was put together when the BBC offered Cleese a program, and Cleese wanted to work with Michael Palin. From there, the other various members of the team came in. So it wasn't just a case of a BBC producer putting the team together so much as already existing networks combining in a different way. None of these people had worked on Beyond the Fringe. Josh would really just start every show saying every word out of my mouth is very likely to be wrong. Which was Ben Cook, Dudley Moore, Alan Bennett and Jonathan Miller. Which also combined two from Cambridge, Cook and Miller and two from Oxford, Moore and Cook. Which may be why Josh is confused.
0: Or maybe it's having a high rating episode zero that does it. If you have a letter to send to Boxcutters you can either leave a comment on the blog like Fred did, which is at boxcutters.net or you can send us an email, hooray at boxcutters.net
2: I, th- I thought Boxcutter's episode zero
0: was high rating. We didn't, we didn't have a, an episode zero. Oh, just the video podcast. There's no video podcast. If
4: you watch one thing.
0: Quick, we need to have enough time for Ben
4: McKenzie. Glenn, what did you watch if you watch anything? Uh, hattrick, bad as hell. That's three weeks in a row, but come on. It's amazing. It's hilarious. Brett.
2: Uh, Breaking Bad is on ABC2 on Monday nights at uh, around about 9.30. Uh, Unfortunately, by the time you're listening to this, you'll have already passed the episode Box
0: Cutter. Which uh, Glenn doesn't like because it's got too much violence in it. And it hasn't got me in it. It doesn't. It's not a Glenn episode. He's not on the podcast anymore. I, if I was going to watch one thing, I would watch Rectify uh, on the Sundance channel in the US. Uh, I, I've, seen, I've seen the first episode and it has uh, wet my appetite. It really, uh, it really shows up how uh, you don't need to have a whole bunch of violence to have a really dramatic story. So is the comedy. Really dramatic story. It's
4: raining Ben. <laughs> Hallelujah, <laughs> it's raining Ben. <laughs> There's
3: only one specimen though, and that's me. <laughs>
0: Ben Mackenzie, hello. What earlier on, uh, earlier on the episode, you were complaining that uh, we didn't have enough facts to check. Well, I look. Oh, no, hang on, hang on. That we didn't get enough facts wrong, or that there just weren't enough facts in the show to check. Uh, well, look, there were plenty of
3: facts. Probably, if you want to have a liberal definition of facts, <laughs> um, but most of them seemed quite reasonable. So I didn't really think that they needed checking all that much. Uh, I found out some interesting. Extra information. One thing you didn't mention about the Hannibal episode that was pulled was why, like the specific reason. uh, And they have cited that it's because of a plot involving guest star Molly Shannon, whose character brainwashes children into killing their families. So it was violence perpetrated by children uh, on other children and adults. And that was what they felt was maybe objectionable. You might
0: consider that objectionable in any circumstances, perhaps. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, even, even, like, having not experienced anything like that in our own country, I'm thinking, too soon, just in case somebody has experienced something like that, ever. Yeah, it seems it seems nasty. Mm. Um, also, the name of that episode was
3: Oeuf, which, uh, as a French speaker, I hope you'll correct me on my pronunciation, No, Josh. it is Oeuf. which is uh, French for egg. Uh, but most of the websites are we it. An Mr. Bungle, mm. Mr. Bungle song. Oh, right. Uh, Well, I found it quite interesting. Most of the websites are spelling it with a C-E rather than the combined O-E character, which it should be spelled with. Uh, I don't know why that is. It's possibly because they're American. Yeah, that's how Mm. they're spelling it. C-E-U-F, which made it quite hard to find out more information about that episode, Uh, which is annoying. I love to check out as well. So I thought I'd have a quick look uh, and see uh, if there's anything else I could look up. One of the things that uh, you can find out, they put up a lot of the source material that's sent to them. Uh, when they ask questions. Ah. So, for example, when they were talking about Nurofen and they asked uh, for some scientific evidence that it targets specific areas of the body in order to better uh, dull pain in those areas, they sent three documents. Uh, I had a quick look at them with my scientician's eyes. One of them was sort of... Well, all of them pretty much were not studies of any sort uh, and none of them described any mechanism that I could see in my quick read-through of how the drug migrates to those particular areas of the body so they were basically all bollocks but i found it interesting that they couldn't even scan or submit documents in a useful fashion because um, one of them was scanned upside down uh, and one of them (laughs) was scanned sideways Uh, And they were from very large generic journals and they were descriptions. So I think that's really good that not only are they ridiculing them on the website, but they're providing the source material so you can go and have a look yourself. Uh, Now, I did also have to do some fact checking about our letter um, because... British comedy 1960 to 1980 is a little bit of a specialist subject of mine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I looked up the seminal reference work on the period, uh, Roger Wilmot's From Fringe to Flying Circus,
4: which, of course, I have a copy of. Um, Was was that made into the television show a few years ago? Was that the book?
3: They didn't really adapt this book. Because the book, to be honest, the book is not a heavily researched tome, but it is full of anecdote and story, and it's based on interviews with the people involved. Um, so it would it would make a pretty interesting documentary, but it's very you'd have to make a series because it's about all of the British comedy that happened on television and and on radio, uh, largely in that era. But the things that I wanted to say was that there's not really any evidence uh, in this account that the BBC put together the Python team themselves. It was uh, it was sort of kicked off by Cleese who rang Palin and said, "Hey, we should do." some sketch comedy because they'd been watching do not adjust your set which was a children's tv show uh and then uh contacted some of the others they got on to eric Idle, who brought in terry gilliam um and chapman was on board as well who was um working with john cleese uh so they contacted palin and jones and said come and work with us uh and then they went to barry Took, who was um one of the producers around at the time and said hey can you help us pitch this to the bbc and they went, oh, you guys are good. Um, also, he got the name of the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band incorrect. Uh, it is the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, not the Bonzo Doodah, Doodah Dog, Dog Bands. Band. And, and Vivian gra-
4: Stanchel is is rolling in his grave. And their great song, I think, it was the Wangarata Wahooni. They had they? a lot of great songs. Yeah. Uh, one interesting bit of
3: trivia, which regular uh, box cutter Courtney will enjoy, is that um, Death Cab for Cutie, the band, take their name from a song by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band called. Death Cab
4: for Cutie.
0: Wengarada when Wahini was, I thought, Captain Matchbox will be banned.
4: You know what? You're right, Josh. Yeah. Fred, stop, stop typing. Josh is right. <laughs>
0: ben McKenzie, thank you uh, so much. In answer to Fred's question as well, for, su- for some reason, it was do not adjust your set." that uh, I had in my mind and beyond the fringe that kept coming out of my mouth. So, uh, I know a- what apologies, says. apologies. That yes. that happens on the fly. That's why we now have a new fact checker. Uh, if you like, I can blow up the um, the useful
3: diagram, which I'm holding up for the video podcast viewers. Up to the camera. Uh, up here, that which way. shows the incestuous nature of British comedy on, on radio and television from 1960
4: to
0: 1980. If you could take a photo of that, we'll put it up on the blog, uh, on the, the show notes for this episode, which people can find at boxcutters.net slash episode 339 thanks ben mckenzie uh we'll see you again in pork hey
2: um when i cast my pod it's with the box cutters in mind box cutters pod cast done pork is on the table
0: and that brings us to the end of Boxcutters, episode 339. Ben, yes. uh, Splendid Chaps, May the 4th. Yes, two shows in May. Uh, the next one, May the 4th, special episode about books
3: and Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who, great, unique relationship with books, unlike any other TV show. We're talking about it. May the 4th, Northgate Library, starting 4.30 in the afternoon. Find out more details, SplendidChaps.com. Is that also
2: a Star Trek special? No.
0: And The Nudge, episode one, is available at thenudge.com.au. Uh, yeah, episode one. There's available. an episode out. Yeah, there's, there's an episode out. How did episode uh, zero go? Really well, really well. So. Ep- episode one it's doing it even better. Doing even better. So uh, there'll be links for that on uh, the blog at boxcutters.net slash episode 339. I want to say thanks so much to support Bradley for coming in and entertaining us and being horrifically charming.
4: So charming. So good looking.
0: Yeah, he made us all feel a little bit ill about ourselves. Just a a little bit. Mm. Just a little bit. Until next
4: week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm Glenn, and I'm back in the band, Peters. (laughs) I'm Ben McKenzie, checking your facts. And I can. (laughs)
2: Hello, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) I continue to be Brett Cropley Thanks for listening to Box Cutters. Catch us again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Hey, let's
4: be careful out there.
0: Cutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at RRR org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. Hey Ben, so we uh, we do this bit at the end uh, if we have time.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. I think I remember this bit from listening to previous episodes of the podcast. Isn't there this somebody in particular who comes on? And is it who is it? Who is it who comes on? Oh, no, you're
0: completely mistaken. Nothing at all happens. No. Oh, okay.
2: Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Gutters.